Hello and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the podcast that will carve you if you cross us. Today we have Zoe, Callan, Laura, and Ozzy. And today in our continuation of spooky season content, we will be talking about the big pumpkin industry. Um, Um, Listeners may remember big corn cone. And I just wanted to say that we are back and ready for more. I, my silly little brain last night, um, was thinking through the corn song lyrics and was like, what about if it was about a pumpkin? Um, oh. And that's why I put myself to sleep last night. Oh my God. I kept thinking today when I was working on this, the song Big Pimpin, mm. but Big Pumpkin. Oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> so we have several theme songs to choose from. Exactly. Today. Exactly. But yeah, for some context of the market size value for pumpkins um, in the U.S., at least in 2021, pumpkins yielded $1.38 billion in the U.S. And it is estimated that by 2028, this number will be up to $2.22 billion based on current trends. Um, and if we single out just the pumpkin spice trend, it is worth $500 million dollars. Um, which is the same amount that I'm worth, like not in monetary value, but like theoretically. Yeah. Like I don't have that money, but it's <laughs> yeah. what I'm worth. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but before we get into the popularization of pumpkins, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of pumpkins. So most varieties of pumpkins are believed to be from North America, with evidence of their existence in Mexico going back to at least 5500 BCE. And um, gourds, as a larger category, go back even further in time, having been traced to Peru in about 11,000 BCE. Oh, we love a good gourd. You know, we love a good gourd. Um, Gourd is also such a good word. I think we just need to acknowledge that. Yeah, sometimes I start with wordle with gourd. Ooh. Because you get two levels. Also, Uh, like, I don't know. My family and friends and I all argue about this, but basically a lot of them will all do the same word, first word, every day until that is the word of the day. But for me, I'm like, (laughs) I need to go at I have to do a different word every time, and it needs to be, like, a weird word. Exactly. Exactly. Glad we're on the same page. Anyway, back to pumpkins. (laughs) Uh, so we wanted to talk about, um, the indigenous use of pumpkins and squashes, but starting us off with a fun fact, and we will get into more fun facts later. The word pumpkin showed up for the first time in the fairy tale Cinderella, a French explorer in 1584 called them gross melons, which was translated into English as pompions. And it wasn't until the 17th century that they were referred to as pumpkins. Um, The jack-o'-lantern originated in Ireland and Scotland, as we've discussed in a previous Halloween episode. But as a reminder, in honor of the Celtic tradition, All Hallows' Eve, people carved scary faces into turnips and potatoes, um, placing them in a window to frighten away evil spirits. 
Um, and it wasn't until those people immigrated to North America that colonizers discovered the pumpkin, air, air quotes, discovered the pumpkin, um, which soon became popular for jack-o'-lanterns. Um, but pumpkins represent one of the earliest cultivated foods of the Western Hemisphere. Over 9,000 years ago, the indigenous peoples of North America were growing pumpkins, long before the cultivation of corn or beans. They began in the Oaxaca region as early as 8750 BCE and spread north to the eastern region of the United States by... (laughs) 2700 BCE. Thank you. 2700 BCE. It's like my brain, it like literally is like skipping um, when I see numbers. Um, The pumpkin's thick orange flesh would survive and prosper as a stable food and source for thousands of years. Yeah. So I just wanted to share a little, another little fun fact here. Um, So originally indigenous Americans only ate pumpkin seeds because the flesh of early pumpkins was so bitter, but as agricultural practices improved and different cultures learned to selectively breed crops, the pumpkin that's, you know, we eat today was born and this much sweeter version was used and eaten in its entirety. Mm. Interesting and delicious. <laughs> um, another fun fact about pumpkins and sort of how they were originally grown is that they were very important to indigenous farming practices. I feel like folks may have heard of this concept of the three sisters farming practice. Um, the three sisters specifically is an Iroquois story and cultivation practice. So it uses corn, beans, and squashes planted in a three-part cycle. Those are the three sisters. Um, And those three crops make up basically both like key staples of a human diet that are very like nutritionally useful, but they also grow really well together. So they're good for the land as well in that you can grow each of these three crops in pretty much an endless cycle. And they sort of naturally like remove and replenish the same sets of nutrients in the soil to keep everything balanced. Um, And that's in contrast to like sort of mainstream capitalist farming practices that we use today, typically, um, where, you know, like, we have to rely on like pesticides and genetically modified crops to be able to keep growing just one crop in the same spot over and over again. This is like how factory farming works. um, And that depletes nutrients from the soil makes it harder for things to grow naturally. And it basically means that crops have to become more and more reliant on like artificial additives, um, genetic engineering in order to grow properly. Um, Anyway, many indigenous North American communities had different versions of this three crop cycle. Um, So the Three Sisters specifically is native to the Northeastern US, um, parts of what's now New York and Pennsylvania. Um, But there were also versions of this practice in the Southwest and lots of other areas of what's now the United States. Totally. And into Ontario, too. Um, Also, like what they're describing as this um, kind of crop cycling is what a lot of people now refer to as permaculture. Um, And it's kind of when you can have a small amount of space, but grow multiple plants and they like get to work with each other and how they use sunlight and nutrients and stuff like that. We love to see it. Hell yeah. Uh, um, 
So yeah, um, indigenous um, Americans roasted, baked, parched, boiled, and dried the flesh of the pumpkin in numerous ways. And each tribe developed its own ways to prepare and enjoy the pumpkin. Dine cooks fry it with mutton, while Taos Pueblo cooks make a succotash by cooking unripe pumpkin with corn kernels and onion. Uh, in woodland areas, pumpkin is eaten similarly to winter squash, uh, occasionally cut into rings to dry and be reconstituted when needed. Yes, and there are also a ton of native recipes for pumpkin that are still commonly eaten today or have sort of like versions of them that are still popular fall recipes. Um, pumpkin bread was an indigenous tradition in some places, as well as pumpkin soups, and also this version of trail mix that involved roasted pumpkin seeds that were seasoned with like chili powder and other seasonings and then mixed with nuts and dried fruit, which honestly sounds amazing. I'm going to have to try this myself. Delish. Yeah, there's also a Sioux dish that I found called stuffed pumpkin, which involves cooking the pumpkin with like meat or other proteins, rice and spices. And then you just put it back into the empty pumpkin and that's how it's served. And I just love a food being used as a plate. So I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, move over bread bowl because it's pumpkin plate season. Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, yes. I have one <laughs> quick story about a stuffed pumpkin. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. So one year for Passover, my mom was like, I'm going to try out this new Passover recipe. And it, it wasn't with a pumpkin. It was um, some kind of gourd, maybe a butternut squash. Anyway, basically it was similar to the recipe that Ozzy just described, but like with matzo broken up inside. And it was honestly horrible. And <laughs> and usually mom's a very good cook. And so a couple of years ago, this came out that my sister and I were like, remember that time you made literally the worst Passover meal we've ever had and my mom was like I did not know that was so scarring so anyway that sounds really good don't try it with matzah it will traumatize your children oh um so like building on this discussion not specifically a discussion of Zoe's traumatizing food history but the history of pumpkins in indigenous American cultures um I wanted to talk a little bit about the use of the pumpkin by settlers who drew on the native use of the gourd um, that we've just heard about. So just as like a little piece of background, something to think about when we're talking about all this, like when colonists arrived in the Americas, they were met by a really different ecology than they were accustomed to in Europe. Like a lot of the plants and animals that they took for granted did not exist naturally in North or South America and had to be brought over, which of course today we would call um, the introduction of an invasive species. And um, conversely, there was a lot of flora and fauna that they were just not familiar with at all on the continents. So for Europeans, this meant a lot of adapting and learning about how to make food from new ingredients. And this is, of course, knowledge that they often gained from the indigenous peoples who had been raising and cooking and preparing that food for millennia. Um, this is also true as a side note of foodways that were incorporated into the U.S. tradition that enslaved peoples brought over from Africa when they were trafficked to the colonies or to the United States as well. But anyway, um, I just wanted to talk about some of those early colonial and United early United States um, uses of pumpkins. So um, according to 
historian Mary Miley Theobald, quote, almost every early European explorer commented on the profusion of pumpkins in the New World. Columbus, um, hate him, enemy of the pod. They're, these are all going to be enemy of the pod. I don't need to like repeat that. Um, Columbus mentioned them on his first voyage. Jacques Cartier records their growing in Canada in the 1530s. Um, Cabeza de Vaca saw them in Florida in the 1540s, as did Hernando de Soto in the 1550s, the 1580s. Um, Thomas Harriot, a scientific advisor to the Roanoke expedition, realized early on that the multitudes of colors and shapes were actually quite similar in taste. He wrote, um, several forms are of one taste and very good and do also spring from one seed. And Captain John Smith finally described in 1612 how the Powhatans grew pumpkins near Jamestown, end quote. Um, Peter Kalm, who is a Swedish botanist who visited the Americas in the 1740s, noted that having been gifted pumpkin seeds by local tribes, the English colonists in Philadelphia had gardens just absolutely filled with pumpkins. Um, and you know, the colonists, as I mentioned, were observing these various practices that were used to prepare and preserve and serve pumpkins and often tried to duplicate those measures, um, not always successfully. So as I was researching this, I thought this was kind of funny. George Washington apparently wanted his farm manager in Virginia to attempt a native form of slicing and drying pumpkin skin to preserve it. And um, one of the great things about uh, historical preservation is that we have letters where George Washington's farm manager tells George Washington that he absolutely failed at this attempt, writing, quote, I tried the mode you directed of slicing and drying them, but it did not appear to lengthen their preservation. Um, so as George Washington is also an enemy of the pod, I have no sympathy for him and the fact that he didn't get the pumpkins that he wanted. Um, I feel kind of bad for the pumpkins, though. Like, yeah. why waste a good pumpkin? Yeah, I mean, I, I do wonder, it just, it didn't lengthen their preservation, but maybe they ate them anyway. I don't, I don't know. We don't have all that information. That's a good point. Um, Hopefully someone who is not George Washington ate those pumpkins. Hell yeah. <laughs> and we are going to get into 20, 21st century pumpkin spice and all of that that entails later. But I do want to give some credit where it's due because... People have been spicing pumpkins long before Starbucks got into the game. Um, one observer in colonial New England in 1674 recorded the following about pumpkin wow. pre preparation. Talk about yeah. a trendsetter. Yes, it says the housewife's manner is to slice them when ripe and cut them into dice. So and so fill a pot with them of two or three gallons and stew them upon a gentle fire a whole day. And as they sink, they fill again with fresh pompions. We haven't gotten to pumpkins yet. Pompions, not putting any liquor into them. And when it is stewed enough, it will look like baked apples. This they dish, putting butter to it and a little vinegar with some spice as ginger, etc., which makes it tart like an apple. Wow. And so gin so pumpkin spice was created before the term pumpkin. Pumpkin. Literally. Wow. Yes. Wow. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And this was like such an important dish to the early American colonial culture that the first ever published American cookbook, which was written by Amelia Simmons in the 1790s, um, featured two pumpkin spice pie recipe or two spice pumpkin pie recipes. Um, and uh, 
you know, no shade at apples, but I do want to suggest that actually the phrase maybe should be like as American as pumpkin pie, because this stuff has been around and like central to American. And I mean that in a capacious way, not just white American, but American culture for literally thousands of years. Yeah, but I mean, staying true to America to get all of that wrong, you know? (laughs) 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 Oh my God. Yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit in some other other gourd history um, about the Jewish holiday of Sukkot, um, which is this week actually, so very fitting. But Sukkot is a celebration of like the fall harvest where you give thanks for having food and shelter, essentially. So Sukkot is the plural of the word sukkah, which means a temporary shelter. A lot of people have probably seen them. They're like little little hut situation. They have to have at least 2.5 walls. So they're usually open on at least one side. Um, but once people build their sukkah, they're decorated inside, typically with a variety of like gourds and fall vegetables and fruits. Pumpkin is technically a fruit. Um, but people celebrate by like eating and sleeping in their sukkah to give thanks for, um, quote, the bounty of the earth, which is like what is said in, in the prayer. And I just always thought this holiday was really fun growing up, especially because a lot of Jewish holidays are about like remembering times of suffering. And this holiday actually does kind of have ties to that as as well. Um, but to, to skip out on the Torah lesson, um, it's mostly a celebration for the fall harvest and you like party and drink wine and eat fall harvest in your sukkah. And that's fun. Love that. Um, I wanted to talk a little more about the history of jack-o'-lanterns carving pumpkins, using them as a decorative thing in the fall. Um, Carving people who cross us. Yes, exactly. Which is very fitting because jack-o'-lanterns actually started out as real human skulls, which is extremely metal. Hell yeah. Um, I want one. Yeah, now that I know this, I'm like, maybe we should just go back to this, but... Basically, in Celtic pagan traditions, mostly in Ireland and Scotland, people would bury their dead, but keep the skull out of the ground and, like, place it near the burial area in these specific areas to display skulls. Um, And basically, it just was, like, a way of, like, connecting with and remembering people who had passed away. So on Samhain, which is the Celtic Day of the Dead, like, sort of precursor to Halloween, uh, people would light candles and put them inside the skulls of their dead loved ones. And this was basically like a way that they could find you and connect with you across like the realm of the living and the dead. So people would use these lit up skulls to communicate with people that they knew who had passed on. Um, Later, as Christianity became more dominant, it wasn't as accepted to outright say you were doing this because of pagan traditions. So people started to make up other folk stories to help explain these customs in a way that was like a bit more outside, like non-religious, essentially, and more palatable to Christian authorities. So it's like, oh, this is just like a quirky thing we're doing. It's not because of religion. Don't worry. It's not because of paganism. Um, it also yeah, straight up witchcraft, like using yeah, someone's skeletal exactly. system to contact them. Uh, um, it. Yes, it also became a bit less acceptable to use people's literal remains in this way. Um, 
partly because Christianity is famously kind of weird about the human body. And also, I'm not sure, like, how much this is part of the reasoning. Yeah, just just a little bit. Like, Uh, you know, let's just shove people full of embalming fluid and put them on full display. Yes. And there's also, like, you know, the body and blood of Christ, but it's not, like, literally Christ's skull, which would be very cool. Well, the Catholics think it's literal, but... I mean, that's so true. Um, I don't know why they they didn't accept this. Um, or I mean, maybe they did. Who knows? Maybe Catholics support this. Um, there can also be some, like, genuine public health concerns to handling, like, human skeletons in this way without, like, proper safety, which yeah, they obviously Yeah, it creates, like, massive holes have. in the ground. Um, I mean, <laughs> If so you don't true. do it properly or, like, because... It- the remains will go away it's like there will be these holes this sounds like hearsay i think it is perfectly fine to do this (laughs) i mean i think in a lot of cases it's fine it also like depends how they died but anyway people just didn't like it as much authorities were upset about it so over time for many reasons people sort of transitioned away from using actual skulls and they started to use carved root vegetables to look like heads, and this was usually done with turnips. Um, so this early version of the tradition is associated with an Irish myth about a guy named Stingy Jack, also known as Drunk Jack, also known as Flaky Jack, also known as Jack O'Lantern. That wow. was his last name. Um, and I yes, want that many nicknames he was known by. Yeah, yeah, I just love like how many and it's like they're all kind of different. Like, I yeah. don't know. Stingy and flaky are like very <laughs> different concerns, but I um... you don't want to be both. <laughs> right. I didn't. Yeah. I never like internalize the fact that Jack O'Lantern, like being spelled Jack space O apostrophe lantern was supposed to be like an Irish yeah, guy's name. Yeah, it's like name. an Irish name. <laughs> I didn't so realize that, me neither. that comes from. That's hilarious. That's so funny. Um, yeah. But essentially the story is that Jack was a bit of a trickster. Um, he had this encounter with an angel where for some reason the angel like gave him some wishes and he basically used them to be like if anyone messes with my stuff i want something bad to happen to them and the angel was like that's not very christian of you so you can't come to heaven i'm sorry but then he also had this whole like series of run-ins with the devil where he like tricked the devil into not letting him into hell um also in some versions of the story he like stole some money from the devil Basically, after he died, both heaven and hell were like, we do not like this guy. We don't want him. You can't come in here. And so neither of them would let him in. And he just was like, well, shit, I am dead. But I just kind of have to, like, roam around the earth for all eternity because none of the afterlives will agree to let me in. Um, The devil did feel slightly bad for him and gave him a lantern to light his way interesting to me that it wasn't like god like heaven took no pity on him but the devil was like okay like i'm not gonna let you in but like here's a lantern so (laughs) this lantern according to the story was made of a turnip that was like carved out and there was like an ember inside of it so like a lit coal in it um to light his way while he's like wandering cursed to wander the earth Um, And in Irish tradition, people would also carve scary faces in turnips to scare away Flaky Jack. Hell yeah. I AKA Drunk Jack, AKA AKA Stingy Jack, (laughs) AKA Jack-o'-lantern. 
I'm just gonna like honor my Irish heritage by putting a hollowed out turnip on my stoop this Halloween and just seeing what my neighbors have to say about that fact. Yes, absolutely. I think you should. And if they complain, then, you know, you can just tell them that's the original way to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna honor my non-Christian heritage by putting human skulls on my stoop this Halloween (laughs) and just just fuck around and find out. Oh my god. I mean, just kidding. I don't have any access to human skulls. If you find a good way to get human remains, uh. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure there is a good way to get human remains. A lot of problematic ways to get human remains, as many in the music challenge finding out. Right, it could be fraught, but um, you know, we'll we'll talk more about this in um, you know off offline channels. Or you can join our Discord. You can always get yes. a, a like deer skull, you know. That's true. Or even just like a like you could make a fake skull out of plaster. Um, or you know, no, maybe no one knows if it's a real skull or not. Um anyway, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, during the 1800s when a lot of Irish immigrants were moving to the US. This tradition shifted to be more associated with pumpkins because those are native to North America. Um, some people also think that there could be some other reasons for this, like pumpkins are better. a little bit. I mean, yeah, I I think it could just be because they Turnips taste fucking better. suck. Yeah, like I'll you say it. You also can't make them into as many things like pumpkins. You can have like you can roast the pumpkin seeds. That's not really a thing with turnips. Oh. Um, you can make them into pie. I don't really think turnip pie would be very good. Um, they're also a little bit softer, so they're like easier to carve. And I also just think it makes sense because pumpkins can be a lot bigger than turnips. So you can have like a much bigger sort of like canvas to make a bigger design on. But that's sort of how things started to shift more towards pumpkins once Irish immigrants were living in the U.S. Yeah, and like on the note of like it being pumpkins being large and carvable, I wanted to go back to selective breeding um, and talk about how pumpkins really got enshrined as Halloween decorations because of selective breeding. So like, as I mentioned earlier, several different Native nations bred pumpkins towards a more tasty variety. And for like literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, it was taste that governed the trends in pumpkin breeding. But in the 1970s, farmers started growing pumpkin hybrids that were optimized specifically for carving. Um, And uh, a farmer named um, Jack Howden is known for popularizing the quote Howden pumpkin. You can search online Howden pumpkin and you'll find like people selling them, people selling seeds. Um, So you can grow your own Howden pumpkins. And Howden pumpkins are the big, round, bright orange variety that we usually use now for jack-o'-lantern carving. Um, And historian James McWilliams has documented these changes and has noted he seems actually like as I was reading some of the stuff he wrote about this like very salty seemed like he was just kind of like pumpkins are for carving or for eating not for carving but um he says that the Howden pumpkins don't taste good and in his words the most popular pumpkins today are grown to be porch decor rather than pie filling 
And you can still certainly get sweeter pumpkins that are grown to be eaten. And I think Laura's going to talk about that. Um, but what we think of as a prototypical pumpkin today is a far cry from what indigenous peoples were eating the, when they first started eating the seeds t- um, thousands of years ago, or even what Irish immigrants were carving in the 19th century. Yeah. Um, also, that's what was the case with corn, too. Like, corn used to have a lot of different flavors and growing in a bunch of different ways. And now it's just like corn syrup. And you can revisit the big corn episode for more on that. Um, But yeah, I think with all that history in mind, we're going to talk about how pumpkins became so popular for the fall. So one of the first times that pumpkins appeared in like a written down recipe was in the 1670s. And the recipe was essentially similar to what Kellen described, mashed pumpkin with butter and spices added. And then over the course of the 17th century, pumpkin became more popular to use um, in the kitchen and more recipes were created over time. And today the most popular way that pumpkin is served is in a pumpkin pie, which was first seen in the 1800s. This is also around the time that Halloween and Thanksgiving became popularized holidays. Um, Abraham Lincoln actually made Thanksgiving a national holiday in 1863 and going back to pumpkin pies being very American, declared pumpkin pie the national dessert at the time. So, yeah, uh, fun fact, the the guy who ended slavery famously loved colonialism. <laughs> but <laughs> also, I, well, I, never mind. I was just going to say. Oh, go ahead. He signed the Emancipation Declaration, enslaved people themselves, really ended slavery. <laughs> Just credit where it's due. Totally. But perhaps another reason, as Zoe was saying, not to idealize Abraham Lincoln. True. Or any president. All presidents are bad. APAB. <laughs> APAB. Yeah. APAB. You heard it here first. But yeah, a lot of the popularization came from the symbol of the jack-o'-lantern that we were just talking about. Um, And so as jack-o'-lanterns came over to North America and were made with pumpkins, that became kind of this like official symbol of Halloween. And around that same time, they were um, being used more and more in like American cooking. And so pumpkins continue to become a really popular fall vegetable slash technically fruit due to all of the recipes that they could be used for around Thanksgiving. But the popularity rose really drastically after Starbucks introduced the pumpkin spice latte in 2003. Maybe you've heard of it. And we're going to get to that more in a minute. But just for for context around that time, from 2001 to 2014, pumpkin production nearly doubled in value from 75 million to 143 million, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And as I mentioned up top, um, it's now up to 1.38 billion. So it's risen super, super drastically. Big pumpkin. Now you know. Big pumpkin. Um, so yeah, obviously one of the main ways I think a lot of people use pumpkins is in pumpkin pie. I fucking love pumpkin pie. So you may have used a canned pumpkin puree in the past, like because obviously it's easy. It's on the shelf. It's right there. Um, but guess what? Most canned pumpkin isn't actually pumpkin. It's Um, a lie. It's a lie. Uh, it says a hundred percent pumpkin on the front, but if you look at the back, it will have differences in the ingredients and sidebar in case you forgot companies can literally put 
anything on their labels. Like they can write organic, but unless it has like the USDA organic symbol on it, like it probably isn't. Um, so if you have trust issues, canned pumpkin is not for you. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's usually like a type of squash that's in there. That's a relative of butternut and acorn squash. Um, the USDA set standards for canned pumpkin back in 1957, and things literally basically haven't changed since. So the best way to ensure that you're getting real pumpkin in your pies is to make homemade pumpkin puree. And I just want to say how easy it is to do this. Like, I am not someone, like, I have ADHD, so cooking <laughs> sometimes is, like, its own journey for me. And I'm like, less steps is better. However, um, this is really easy and it's definitely worth it. You cut a small um, pie pumpkin in half. These pumpkins are usually less than five pounds. You scoop out the seeds, save them for roasting. Um, they're full of nutrients. And then brush the pumpkin in oil and put the pumpkin, like, the inside face down. Um, you might even want to, like, stab it with a fork a couple times. And um, put it in the oven for at 350 for about 50 minutes. And then once that pumpkin cools, you scoop out the delicious inside, put it into a little mixer or food processor, and get a really soft consistency. And it's absolutely delicious. Um, this is related to what I wanted to talk about, which is pumpkin spice. We're going to start with pumpkin spice lattes. And I just want to know they're related to what Laura just said. Pumpkin spice lattes did not actually have pumpkin in them until 2016. Um, you're really not getting, you don't know if you're getting pumpkin unless you go straight to the source. Um, but again, if we're going to talk about big pumpkin, we got to talk about big pumpkin spice. That was, of course, where my brain went immediately when Zoe said that they wanted to do an episode on this topic. And I was like, great opportunity for me to learn <laughs> more history. So the 21st century pumpkin spice craze begins with a Starbucks pumpkin spice latte, which as Zoe mentioned earlier, the coffee chain began offering in fall 2003, but only at a few select locations, specifically in Vancouver and in Washington, D.C. The pumpkin spice latte was not their first foray into the seasonal beverage market. So the pumpkin, or excuse me, the peppermint mocha latte um, precedes the PSL. But the drink sold way better than expected in its limited run, um, the PSL, the pumpkin spice latte. And in fall 2004, it was introduced in two stores across the globe. Um, this has been a huge success. Um, over 200 million pumpkin spice lattes were sold in the first 10 years of its run. And you sh we should, of course, remember that the first year it was only sold in two cities, in 2015, Forbes estimated that in that year alone, Starbucks made $100 million um, selling pumpkin spice lattes. So this drink is like iconic, essentially. Love it or hate it, like it is, it is an icon. Um, and that's really what started it all in terms of like pumpkin spice blank, which we think of when we think of fall rolling around today. Um, since the introduction of the pumpkin spice latte, like so many other brands have gotten in on the deal. There's pumpkin spice Cheerios, Max Pro Elite pumpkin spice protein powder, Lando Lakes pumpkin spice butter, like it's everywhere. 
And I do want to put in a personal recommendation. This is not exactly pumpkin spice, but I do have to say that I fuck with the Gourd Tree Pumpkin Cider, which you can find at Trader Joe's. Um, And I also think we could like note that pumpkin spice lattes have become sort of shorthand for a particular type of order, type of person, type of consumption, type of woman, really. I think there's a very gendered aspect to the way that pumpkin spice lattes have been derided in popular culture. In addition to being famous, they're also famously made fun of. Um, And I think if we wanted to, we could go into a lot of the sort of misogyny that underlies like making fun of something that mostly women seem to like, um, and especially mostly younger women. Um, But we're here to talk about pumpkins. So I won't get into all of that. But I love, I love it, you know, really just brings it, brings it all back. (laughs) yeah um i wanted to add on the pumpkin spice blank um last year i was inspired to look up Mm. do pumpkin spice condoms exist and at on first search you'd think the answer is yes but there's actually this widely circulated photoshopped image of durex having a pumpkin spice Mm. condom but there's this amazing quote from the company because it was like very wide people really thought they were gonna have a, a pumpkin spice condom and so the company like responded and this is what they said We've heard talk that we launched launched a pumpkin spice condom. We can't claim this one, but we do love it when people spice it up in the bedroom. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> Durex, uh. think of us when you have sex. <laughs> and with that, I think we're going to move into some like fun facts and like pop culture pumpkins. So. I wanted to talk a little bit about the artist um, Yayoi Kusama, who is famous for her pumpkin art, which if you haven't seen, you should look up. They're super cool. So cute. I looked into decorating my home with them for fall a few years ago, but like even the knockoffs are super expensive. I digress. Someday. I'll, someday. I've seen people paint pumpkins to look like hers as like DIY decorations for our Halloween. Yeah, I don't have that the patience, sense. but I, I, respect <laughs> it. I respect it. If anyone wants to paint one for me and mail it mm. to me, let me know. Um, but just some, his- some background on that. When she was 10, she started experiencing hallucinations and some of those involved um, having pumpkins that were talking to her. And so pumpkins first appeared publicly in her artwork in 1946 when she had an exhibition in her hometown of Matsumoto. But after this, pumpkins didn't appear again in her displayed work until the 1970s. And since then, pumpkins have become one of the most like famous aspects of her work. She's shown them all over the world. But Kusama said that pumpkins represent a cheerful piece of her otherwise like troubled childhood. And she would spend hours drawing pumpkins, which for her represented stability and comfort and modesty. And just also another fun fact on that, one of my professors when I was in art school dressed his baby up as a Kusama pumpkin, and it was so cute. Amazing. Yeah, all, that professor is an enemy of the pod, but it's on his daughter's phone and she's very uh. cute. <laughs> <laughs> Side note. Ew. So some to get into some fun facts about pumpkins that we haven't already shared with you throughout this episode, according to the Guinness World Records, Benny Meyer of Germany presented the heaviest pumpkin to date on October 12th, 2014. This massive pumpkin weighed in at 2,323.7 pounds. And shockingly, this was actually the third record-breaking pumpkin grown by Meyer during that season. That's wild. Um... 
and I, I really truly hats off to, to this man. Um, I, I'm struggling to imagine a 2000 pound pumpkin. Yeah. I was trying to picture like how big that would James be, but and I the giant peach, know. but the peach is the pumpkin and <laughs> oh, yeah. there's, they're having their dances. Oh, the, the cricket yes. guy with his violin is there for sure. <laughs> um this is not necessarily as cool of a fun fact because i don't know if it's true i only found this on a fun fact website however apparently according to this website that i'm not sure i trust pumpkins were once thought to cure freckles which is sad to me because why would you want to cure freckles they're so cute Mm. well i read that one saying out of the sun cures freckles well, I do wonder if part of the reason that this like is a like a, a, a myth is that pumpkins come out like in the early when fall. It, mm, you mm. eat pumpkins and your freckles fade, but they're not yeah. related to each other. It's just the same mm. type of year, time of year. Mm. Sounds about right. Oh, this is why Kellen has a PhD in history. But yeah, I read yes. this one too. So I feel like either we're on the same fun fact website or it's true. One or the yeah. other. Um, another fun fact, pumpkins are 80 to 90% water, um, which maybe explains why they're so heavy. But mm. I also just think it's impressive that they can be so delicious with like only 10 to 20% as like actual pumpkin. Yeah, kudos to the pumpkin doing the most doing the absolute most um in that same vein um all parts of a pumpkin are edible even the stem and the flowers that grow on the vines those are edible too yes wow um and perhaps for this reason and all the other reasons we've talked about i feel like we're we're coming out as a pro pumpkin pod um i think that's fair to say absolutely I mean, for the sake of feminism, I think we have to be pro <laughs> Absolutely. Also, yes. if, you've, if you ever have, like, a local cafe that does a real pumpkin spice latte, too, that has, like, that pureed. Because I'm sure, as Callum mentioned, they switch to, like, pumpkin. But it's probably still, like, you yeah. know, manufactured or whatever. Having a, like, pumpkin pureed pumpkin spice latte is literally unlike anything i've ever had it's the best thing i've ever had so maybe because they are so great and such friends of the pod pumpkins are grown basically everywhere on planet earth obviously we know they originated in the americas but the fun fact here is that they are now grown on every continent but antarctica that's amazing i also read that china is the country that produces the most pumpkins oh interesting I think also is potentially a, a plus in the pumpkin category. <laughs> wow. Well, that goes well into my next fact, which that within the U.S., Illinois is the largest producer of pumpkins. And in 2020, Illinois grew the, the pumpkin acreage to 15,900 acres of, of pumpkins, which is double number of the pumpkins grown by the other top pumpkin growing states. Wow. So shout out to the state wow. I have now reluctantly become a legal resident of. <laughs> shout out. Amazing. Um, okay, I also enjoyed this fact. If you don't carve a pumpkin, it can be safely stored for up to three months in a cool, dark place and still be safe to eat. 
and pumpkins supposedly become like sweeter and sort of the flavors get more complex as they ripen more so they might even be more delicious at that point but if you do carve a pumpkin it will only last for about a week before it will rot so big big difference there in amount of time (laughs) a pumpkin can last but you know three months is a very long time that's very good for them that is a long time Well, speaking of delicious, sweet pumpkins, the final fact here, Ohio holds the world record for the largest pumpkin pie ever baked, which weighed in at (laughs) 3,699 pounds. Nice. You want to know what else is nice? Um, What's that? What? Giving $6.69 every month. (laughs) to your favorite podcast at patreon.com slash season of the bitch um you can follow us on instagram and twitter at season of the b we've got a raffle coming up so stay freaking tuned about that (laughs) you can rate review subscribe on itunes and wherever you're listening and you know get out there Get out there, enjoy the season. There's nothing basic about spending time outside. Yeah. You can go to our website, seasonofthebee.com, and you can buy some spooky merch for spooky season. Wear it around. Love y'all. Love Love you. you. Bye. 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 Bitch.